The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I want to start by saying, first of all, happy birthday to Rachel Bird. She is an amazing autism mom and she's a really good friend and we celebrate her today and we're so glad uh, to celebrate her. It's a lot of people's birthdays right now. Uh, just looking at my Facebook and, and realizing how much, so if there's a bunch of you out there having a birthday today, happy birthday. Um, and then, um, then I got to turn to some sad news and report that our dear good friend, Joanne Laura, passed away yesterday, uh, last, last night. And um, there's a lot of things that I wanna say about that. And that's gonna take more than just today. Um, but one of the things that I, I just am hanging on to for dear life today is that our beloved Spencer Hart, who has been on the show many times and um, is the opera singer that I was actually talking about with Temple Grandin yesterday, um, that didn't really have words until she uh, saw Phantom of the Opera and then started singing and has sung in China and has sung at the White House. Um, right at the moment that uh, Joanne passed and, and Spencer was miles away, um, Spencer looked up and said to her mom, Mom, I, I, I just saw Joanne uh, walking through the ocean to heaven in a white dress. And that makes me very happy. Um, I wanna say two things about Joanne, um, that she was my friend and I will miss her terribly. But I also wanna say that Joanne came onto this planet and left it different than when she got here. And if you know Joanne's story, you know that she was born into circumstances that no one should be born into, that her first memory was being in a box because that's where she was put as a child because there was no playpen. And um, that for, for you know, her, all of her memories of early childhood are only being able to see uh, above the box. Um, but a day came and social services came and took her and many of her siblings um, and she went into foster care and she was adopted and the people who adopted her put her in dance classes. And that was the beginning of, of her finding her voice through movement. Um, and jo Joanne was a professional dancer for many, many years and led a very exciting life and hung around with people like Sean Penn and Madonna and had stories to tell, you know what I'm saying? Um, but when, when things were getting to the point, because you know, as a dancer, your, your time as a dancer, a professional dancer anyway, can be, you know, very short. 
because of injuries and things like that. And, and at the point when she was having to look for what was going to be her next act, uh, she was substitute teaching and she went into a special ed classroom and it changed everything for her and for the world because she fell in love. And she devoted the rest of her life to helping those other people that she said to me are often overlooked. And she said, that was me. That was me, I was overlooked until somebody picked me up and took me out of that cardboard box. And all she wanted to do was take others out of their cardboard box and give them an opportunity, opportunity to dance literally because she started autism movement therapy and helped individuals with all kinds of neurodevelopmental disorders to find the connection between their brain and their body. But she really made a difference, most especially in the world of autism and went on to create Autism Works Now. And we're gonna talk about all these things at length in the coming weeks. Um, but I, I gotta say that, um, you know, people have always said, you know, when you meet people in the autism community and you see what they're doing, a lot of times people will go, oh, well, so how old is their kid, right? It's not, unusual for people to say that and for people to say that about about Joanne oh so how old is her kid and the thing that we would all say is you know some people would say oh Joanne doesn't have kids but what we would all say is they're all Joanne's kids they're all Joanne's kids um and you know people say things around death that are sometimes insensitive or stupid or inappropriate. And um, one poor person the other day uh, said something that was, you know, less than what we would want somebody to say. They made a comment, I'm sure, you know, not realizing and meaning to be innocuous and whatever, um, but they made a comment about how they would like to have something to remember her by, an object, something of hers. And, um, you know, I was incensed and offended and fatuts, because I find it easier to be angry than to be in sorrow. Let's just be honest, right? Um, but what I wanted to say to the person is, if that's how you feel in this moment, I feel sorry for you because you missed it. This woman did so much that there is to remember her by that cannot be put into an object. Um, if you and and if that's how you feel right now, let me just say, um, there were three dogs and five cats and a thousand and a, probably 2000 children and young people to remember her by adopt, adopt one of those in whatever way that you can. And so I want to say to you, if you feel the loss that I feel, or if you feel the respect that I feel for Joanne, make a donation. Um, she had two amazing organizations and on their websites, they're taking donations. I'm sure we're gonna start a GoFundMe at some point, but make a donation to Autism Movement Therapy, make a donation to Autism Works Now. Um, there is still one dog left to be adopted. Um, I have taken one of the dogs. He, he is here in the room with me. I would pick him up and, and show him to you, but he, he was an adopted dog and she adopted him with two back broken legs. And so it's, he doesn't love to be picked up. Um, so I'm not going to show, but he's the cutest thing ever. Um, but I, I hope that, you know, honor her in that way. Remember her through the work. That's what she always said to us. Remember me through my work. And um, I hope that sometime today, you know, I, 
I'm feeling it, right? But we're going to do the show because that's what Joanne would want because you got to do the work. But as the theme song played, and a lot of times, you know, always before you couldn't see me in the studio, but I would be dancing to the theme song. And then with this Zoom way that we're doing it, it was like, oh, you know, why not let you guys watch what I do before? And I wasn't feeling it this morning. And I, and I, it started and I wasn't doing it. And I was like, what, who, what, who am I? Joanne would have wanted me to dance. I hope you'll find some time today, put on a song and dance with abandon because nothing would have made Joanne Laura happier. And so we trudge on. We'll keep talking about Joanne. We'll keep lifting up her work and uh, keep her legacy moving forward. But we're gonna do the show uh, because autism continues on and she would have been the first person to say that. So uh, we're excited today that, uh, you know, it's Wednesday. And on Wednesday, whenever we can, we have Dr. Doreen Grampichet. We do not have her today, but I am excited to tell you that we have Evelyn Kung join us, joining us today. And she is going to answer questions that you guys write in and uh, that we should be answering them in a general nature. I wanna remind you that you can be writing in questions right now. We're really looking forward to hearing from you this morning. You know, if you watch the show, I love it when it's interactive and I, you know, I need you today. I need you today to be here with me and be interactive, right? Together, si se puede, right? We do this together. So be with me today. Um, so write in your questions and you can write them in, in a lot of different ways. We're live on autism-live.com, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube. Uh, we're on Periscope and Twitter, and later on we will be on iTunes and iHeartRadio and Deezer and Spotify, uh, but always on autism-live.com, and I've got that open up here. Um, somebody wrote in and said she sounds like an amazing person and she will be greatly missed in the world. Let me just tell you, the autism community took a hit last night, and we're all going to have to work hard to live up to what she started. It's absolutely true. And let me to also tell you, she was one heck of a friend. Um, so there we go. Okay, but I'm glad you're here with me and thank you for your condolences that you guys have sent in and good morning to all of you. So Evelyn, if you're here, if you would like to unmute and um, start your camera, we would, there you are. So happy to have you here this morning. Uh, so Evelyn, tell them a little bit about the role that you do at uh, Cardin. I'm going to mute myself while I blow my nose. Go for it. I wanted to say, Shannon, jo Joanne was just amazing. You know, she I know she was such a good friend to you, but I think she did so much good work and it's going to continue to live on. I think that's exactly what you said. She wants it to move on and keep going. And, you know, that's the spirit of who she is in everything she does. You Absolutely. Know? Just keep going. And I heard, I heard her. This, yep. I heard her this morning because somebody asked me if I was going to take a couple of days off and I could hear her this morning going, we do the work because the work doesn't end. <laughs> the work, Shannon. Exactly. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm at, my name is Evelyn Kung. I am the clinical director at CARD and the Center for Autism Related Disorders. I've been working with kids on, with, on the autism spectrum for, I don't know, almost 30 years. I lose count. Um, and, you know, it's just, for me, it's one, it's really an honor to be here on your show and to be able to just talk to families. And I still get a lot of joy out of helping parents um, and, doing fun clinical things and solving problems and 
you know, for me, I always say that's the fun part of this is the problem solving. And Shannon always just laughs at me and says, well, thank goodness. <laughs> but for me, I think, you know, for me, it just energizes me to be able to think through and try to help people and, you know, try to figure out what is going on in inside their heads. <laughs> for those of you who are joining us for the first time, you know, my my whole reason for being here is that my son was diagnosed at the age of two and a half and um, he's now, he just turned 17 and he's remarkable and doing really well because he got the best of all treatment. Um, he got really good quality ABA at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders where Evelyn is still helping people. And, um, and, and Evelyn is a board certified behavior analyst and has helped Oh my goodness, I, I don't think we could put a number on it, how many people she has helped over the time that she has been a card and, a card and made such a difference and given people, um, it, it's like, I always say, you know, that card gave us back our lives, um, but it's so much more than that. That doesn't even scratch the surface. They, they gave my son the ability to have his whole life and to be able to communicate his needs and his wants. And that gave me my life. And my life with him, which I would not have had. And it just, and then that feeds itself into other things. It's given him friendships that have, uh, that the way he is and how he conducts himself has helped his friends. So it's just this, this ripple of amazingness that, that can happen. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're here to talk and, and help families to fig figure out what is right for them. I do want to say that, because it's not one size fits all, let's say that. But I also want to say that there is no expert in any, you know, field or any amount of time who could give individual specific advice in this format, because you're going to write in and ask questions as specifically as you can. And, and Evelyn's going to help you with information that she has based on her experience. But it really is to help you to go back to the expert who has eyes on the situation and to help you to get further faster. Uh, it can't be individual specific advice. But I will say, uh, Evelyn, somebody's already written in and said, ma'am, there are so many teaching methods to teach autism, which is the best and authentic. Uh, and I think that's a great place for us to start today. Yeah, that is, it's such a good place because autism is actually, it's not new, but the increase is new. And with the increase, like when I started in the autism field, there was only one curriculum out there for autism. And it was the one that everybody went to, not because it was the best, but because that's what was available. And since that time, and unfortunately due, due to the increase, unfortunately there was an increase in autism, but fortunately with that increase, that means more people had to pay attention and more people had to look and see what works. Right now, the only research backed um, intervention method that is effective is ABA. Okay, that's the only one that has many, many studies on it now and shows that with early intensive treatment that the more hours there are, the more repetition there is, the more likely um, the child with autism is going to be able to learn all that he can learn. And that is the important part is that, you know, the kids with autism or adults with autism, they all just don't learn the typical way. <laughs> And that's, that's the main thing, but they all can learn. It's that which way is going to work for this child, you know, this person. And so really I would start in the ABA field 
And once you're in the ABA field, ABA is like an umbrella. And under the umbrella of ABA, there's many, many forms of teaching. There's discrete trial teaching, which is very structured and very um, broken into small components and repetition, and doesn't look normal at all because of the repetition. But sometimes it's the breakthrough way of the finally getting the kids' attention to realize in all the repetition that, oh, this is what you want me to do. <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes um, natural environment training, which is more natural and, you know, today-to-day -day life, which I would say probably looks more normal, but the thing is you can't capture as many opportunities to learn if you're just waiting for opportunities to emerge. So that, in that intensity is harder to replicate in that natural environment way. And then it goes on to all these other different types of teaching under ABA too. And what I would say is um, most people start with discrete trial training and then they slowly break into working on, well, this part works for my child, this doesn't. Well, now I'm gonna move one, maybe I can learn one type of, um, you know, learning like play into more of the natural environment because that is more, there's more opportunities to play and learn. And maybe there's enough, maybe language needs to stay in this other form. But I'd say really talk to your ABA provider and to make sure one of the things is <laughs> you do what the child needs, you know? And if the child is not learning, you're gonna switch it up a little bit and figure out what's out there. And there's enough under the ABA umbrella that you can switch and try different methods of interventions. And really, you know, you're gonna push your ABA provider to say, hmm, I don't think this is really working. This part is working in this area, but not for this other one. You're gonna be asking them to try another way because you never know, you know? And, you know, every child is different and the whole purpose is to make the ABA individualized to your child. And don't be, you know, close-minded, listen and figure out. Sometimes we like to do what we know. Don't let that be the limit to you. You know, I talk to families all the time and, you know, sure something worked for maybe the first year, but now they're in the second year and your child knows more, is more aware, and maybe there's a different way to do it now. And maybe, and it doesn't have to all, be all or none. It can be a little bit this, a little bit of that. It can move slowly from one area to another. You know, I talked to a family yesterday of a 20, I think he's 24. And, you know, she's like, well, we've always done it this way. And I said, but, you know, from what you're telling me, it's intruding on your life <laughs> and yeah. it's intruding on his life. So maybe during that period of time in his day, you weren't doing that because that's not what works. And right. just like a light bulb went off in her head. And she said, you know what? It's true. My frustration is I'm trying to do two different things at the same time with him. And as a vocational part of him. And I said, there's a time to learn and a time to just do. And if the child already has learned how to do something and maybe now it's time to work, we just, yeah. you know, that's that time. So I would say that, you know, you know, really um, go to your ABA provider and say, hey, you know, really honestly look at what your, your child is doing, no matter what the age and see like what part is still very effective and what part probably maybe is not moving as fast as you'd like. So maybe you do want to try another way. But you also have to lean into the judgment of your behavior analyst too, because they might have a reason for staying in a certain, sometimes we stay in a certain area longer than it looks like it should be. But a lot of times it's, there's something else that you're seeking in that, you know, in that place. Maybe you're seeking to see some type of generalization that the child learned how to take this information out to the world, 
or maybe sometimes it's just your through the data collected by your behavior analyst, they know that if they keep something in for a month um, in this very formal way, that it doesn't go away then, that it just gets embedded into the thought. And then after a month of um, where he, you know that if you leave that way of doing it, um, it won't get lost. Yeah. You know, so there's always, there's a reason in a way, but don't get stuck, but ask lots of questions. It's your right as a parent to keep asking about like, is this working or is it not working? And just give yourself a break and give your BCBA a break. <laughs> but, you know, there's many under the ABA umbrella, there's a lot of different methods of teaching and just take advantage of that. Yeah, I always say that ABA is like a toolbox and that each child is going to, you know, is going to create a different painting and it's going to look different, but we got a bunch of tools. And for one child, we're going to use more of the tools at one end of the, toy, at the, the toolbox and so on and so forth. So it is a toolbox, which means that you have to have a really skilled artisan to help you to use the tools. And those skilled artisans are called BCBAs, Board Certified Behavior Analysts. That's what Evelyn is. And uh, there, are, there are tons of them around the world now. It is so important that you find someone who is a BCBA who is skilled in autism because the truth of the matter is, is that ABA gets used in all different kinds of forms, not just autism. So work with a good ABA agency that has good skilled BCBAs. I only ever used CARD and I love them. And so I speak about CARD here. It's just not a coincidence. It's because as I said, they gave us back our lives and our child. Um, I always say here though, CARD is not the only ABA provider that is out there. There are many good quality ABA providers, but guess what? There are many more that are not good quality ABA providers. So please be careful that you are using a good quality ABA provider and that you are working collaboratively with them. You can even come to CARD where, you know, they're doing the top level ABA. And if you don't work with them, you are not, statistically, you are not going to have the results that you want to have. So make sure that you work collaboratively with um, your ABA provider and be willing to do the things and the amount of ABA that they are asking you to do. Uh, you know, there been, there's been a lot of research and some of it done at CARD and, and they have found that, you know, we all want the same thing, right? We want for all of us to make the most progress that we can and for our kids to make the mo most progress. So what's the recipe? And what they found is that there are three indicators of the kids who make the most success, right? Because every kid is different and some kids have more than just autism, they have other diagnoses as well. But across the board, the kids who do better are kids who get the most opportunity, which means they get the most hours or their full prescription that we talk about here. They have a good, strong, experienced BCBA somewhere on their case, either their direct supervisor or supervising their supervisor, right? In a card, you automatically have that. And then the third thing is parent participation, that the parents learn what the therapists are doing. That's the hardest part, right? Well, I think that the first one and the, the last one are the hardest part, but here's the good news. We're in control of that as parents. If you, you know, if, if you want to make sure that your kid is making the most progress, do those things, participate and, and give them the opportunity, give them the hours. But when, when people do that, all of the kids, 
all of the kids make progress. They end up in different places, but they all make progress. Tell me if I'm telling anything untrue, Evelyn. Nope, I always tell people, the parents when they come in, because parents always want to know, like, how much progress is my child going to make? And I always say, I can't tell you how much, but they all make progress. Yep. You know? Yep. And the, and the more you do those, I loved when Jem went to go to high school, my son, we went to the open house and the one, the one English teacher who's just awesome, she's just incredible. And she said to the kids, look, you're gonna hear a lot of things today, but here are the three, three things you gotta do on a regular basis. And if you do these three things, in four years, you're gonna graduate with a high school degree and you'll have done fine and you'll have learned a lot. You have to come, you have to be here because if you're not here, I can't teach you. I'm good, but I'm not that good, right? And we didn't have distance learning then. So she said, you gotta be here. Well, that pairs up with the, you gotta give your kid the opportunity. And if you cancel your therapy or say, we're not gonna do as many hours, they're not there. She said, you gotta do your homework. And for me, that's the part where parents, parents gotta learn this too. And you gotta try it and it's gonna be frustrating and sometimes you're gonna fail, you know, whatever. And the third thing that she said was you gotta ask questions. And I think that's the part that keys into the BCBAs. You gotta work collaboratively with your team. But she's, you know, the three things, you gotta be here, you gotta do your homework and you gotta ask questions. If you'll do the, that's all you gotta do. You don't have to do more than that, just do those three things. And whenever we would get into a sticky gummy part of high school, I would say to him, are we doing the three things? Because uh, if we're doing the three things, that's all we got to do. So I'm telling you, here are the three things you got to do. You got to get it. First of all, you got to start with ABA. Then you got to give your kid the most opportunity. Make sure you're working with a, a BCBA with your ABA and ask them questions and work collaboratively with them and then learn what they learn. If you do those three things, you are not going to end up in a bad place. Um, so there. I've got a soapbox, Joanne would be happy. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, somebody wanted to know what your thoughts were, Evelyn. Thank you so much. I'm saying hi to a bunch of people here, um, to Autism Mom Dubai, to V Flutter, to Gary Evan, thank you so much. Uh, uh, to, I'm gonna say it wrong, Mahashwari, uh, I love that name, to Jean, we're saying hello. Uh, and Jean wants to know, do you feel a service dog can help with autism? I actually, oh, this is almost 30 years ago, was one of the families I worked with, was, I think one of the first families to get a service dog. Hmm. The whole petition, it was before they were common. Um, it was this whole theory, you know, out there. And um but we were like, hey, let's try, you know, it's a good way. Let's try to figure this out. Um, and we went through the whole process of getting one, training, training the child to actually be okay with a doctor, with a dog near them. And this is the whole process. And I think it, I, th I thought it was a really great process because one of the things that a service dog does is it keeps your child safe. So if it, if their child starts to dart, it's gonna run in front of the child. <laughs> it might make the child fall, it tries not to, but if the child's going pretty fast, it might make them fall, but at least they're not gonna run into the street. You know, like the, it's just like the, the protection that the dog start builds around the child is amazing. The child goes reach, you know, for something that they're not supposed to, and the dog will just kind of gently push their way through and you know, yes, do not go towards the knives. <laughs> like, it's not a toy. Um, so I, uh, I think like on that end, it's so wonderful. But I love the way um, 
a lot of times families will come in and be very disturbed because they say that their child doesn't know how to interact with their pets that are in the home. And that process builds too through a service dog is, you know, a lot of times um, it's kind of a great cause and effect toy. If I poke at the dog, the dog barks. <laughs> and so at the beginning, there's a certain time of learning where I, you know, I just feel bad for the pets sometimes in the homes because they do take some, you know, uh, they take some of, you know, just the behaviors that come from the kid. But once you get past that and you teach them some good ways to interact with a dog and the service dog is trained to be, to protect this child, I've seen some great relationships between the service dog and the kids, you know. Um, they really do protect them. I don't know how much they teach them in terms of like communication or anything like that, but just the interaction that they have is just a nice relationship between the dog, you know, and the child and just they build their own relationship where they're together. Um, you see just the way that the kids start to care for the animal too. And mm -hmm. I think anytime we can build any kind of empathy and kind of relationship building, for um, individuals with autism, it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta say too. I know a bunch of adults that are on the autism spectrum that in the last four years have gotten um, support dogs and companion dogs, and there is a difference between the two. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe we should have somebody on to talk about that. But um, they are telling me that the emotional support and the sensory support and the anxiety support is amazing. Um, so we, we recently, I don't know if you guys watched that show uh, that's on Freeform, that it's called Everything's Gonna Be Okay. Amazing show. Um, and it has a, a bunch of uh, adults that are on the autism spectrum that are playing teenagers. I think some of them are actually teenagers, but most of them are at least 18 years old. And um, one of the characters on the show they hired the actress and she came to the audition with her support dog. So they hired the support dog too. And he's on the show and she has a twin sister who's also on the spectrum and she also has a support dog. We had, we had them both on the show uh, to talk about, they, they have a, uh, an organization called Aurtism, um, A-U-R-tism. And, but they're amazing. And they talked about how great their dogs are and their dogs are very different and give them very different things because they're, even though they're identical twins, they're very different. And their symptoms and the way autism manifests itself in both of them is very different. And so their support dogs are very different. But anyway, I, I have been really amazed to see all these adults and the things that, we'll have Alex Plank back on because Alex uh, for years went without a dog and then he just got Max probably a little over a year now We'll have him on and you'll meet Max. Max is incredible. Um, but there are a lot of things that those dogs can do, which is pretty awesome. I started to say pretty autism because it is too. Uh, okay, somebody wrote and said that they were uh, writing to us from Pakistan. Welcome. Uh, that's super awesome. And they said to you, Evelyn, ma'am, you are amazing. So Thank that's you. really nice. Uh, okay, another question here. My nonverbal son is 17 years old and he is too compliant. For example, he will not fix a drink without coming to me and gesturing, can I have? So uh, what, and I think she's written here some more, but what do you suggest for her so that he become more autonomous? Um, 
I would say that it's not that he's too compliant. He's just found one way to do it. And this is what he does. <laughs> That's, and it works. Yeah. And it works. And you're really reliable. <laughs> Mom and dad are, you know, like, it's amazing. If I go to parents and ask them for something, they always give it to me. So, you know, or some other version. So it works and we're going to do it that way. So I would say it's not so much the compliance, but, you know, it's more of that ASD part of where, you know, you find a routine, it works, you do it, you get, you know, and you're reinforced for it and it works. But if you, what you really want to work on is you want to work on some um, just like independence probably, because in some ways it is a prompt dependent behavior. They're just there. And so the focus of your program or, you know, whoever is helping you with your programming should be on getting him to generalize the skills so that he can get it on his own. Okay. So that he, he is, this isn't going to happen and you have to take yourself out of the equation. So it might be a step-by-step -step process. It might be where you're going to transfer you, you're the, you're the stimulus to get, because <laughs> he's coming to you for this. Um, situation, you might have to transfer it to, if he reads, a note card that just says, you know, a drink, and I'll go to the drink, and that means I go straight to the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And so when, he, if he, I'm, and I'm sorry, you froze a little bit. Are you still, are, oh, you're talking. Sorry, so, I froze a little bit, and I talked over you. I apologize. No problem. But it's, it's, there's a, there's a method of transferring it from directly to, from you to an object, and it might be that you're going to put the drink out to a more convenient place so that when he comes to you, you might just have to look at it and then he just grabs it himself and then he's naturally reinforced and then you slowly move the drink back to the original origin of where it does, where it's located. You know, there's many different ways to do it, but it's basically you're transferring the control so that eventually he goes on his own. But just a warning, when that starts happening, you're gonna have, you might have other behaviors come up, which is he might be at somebody else's house and just get up and go and grab that drink instead of coming to you. So then that means there's just other skills that you have to teach him, you know? Yeah. You're at home, it's not a problem, just go on your own. But maybe if he's somewhere else that he still needs to keep that behavior of asking you know, or mandating for that drink. A lot of times you see this with toileting. At home, the kids can go, you know, anytime they want. But once, you know, if they're out in the community, they don't know how to ask to go. And then that, some, you know, hopefully not, but an accident occurs or maybe, you know, the, you know, you, the kids manning to go home because that's the only place they know they can just go on their own. So there's a, just a lot of other skills that you have to teach them when you start teaching them to be more independent and to, be able to access items on their own. But I think that that's something great that you've noticed and you, sh you should continue. Um, all the skills that we teach the kids, we always say, yeah, parents, we're teaching them, but you make them, you make them harder, you, you grow them and the skills become more complex. And with that, they do get more independence too. So that's great that you've recognized it. Wonderful. Jean said, sorry for your loss. And thank you so much, Jean. That means so much to me. Um, somebody else wants to know, because I talked about my son at the beginning, they wanted to know, did, did we do med biomedical? And I want to be abundantly clear that we did do biomedical. I, I remember a time when our fabulous Bonnie Yates that we have here on the show, shortly after my son was diagnosed, and while we were still figuring out what we were going to do, um, we, she was 
holding an event. Bonnie held an event where she invited 10 parents of kids. And I'm going to use the word and everybody's going to take a deep breath um, because there's a word that gets used in the autism community and, and some people love it and some people are offended, but um, she called it a recovery panel. And it was 10 parents of 10 kids who had recovered. And um, these were kids that were at college or, you know, were working a job or whatever. And people could come to hear these 10 parents talk about what they did. And my husband and I, I remember Jem was still so little that we put him in one of those little umbrella, umbrella strollers, right? The umbrellers. And, um, which you can't, you can only put a little kid in there. And we went off to this event and it was held at a studio in Culver City. And we, it was a ginormous room and it was standing room only. I've never seen so many people jammed into one space in my life. There were so many parents that were there because everybody wanted to hear because this was a long time ago. And all I remember is that they went down the panel and they talked about their kids, what they had been like before, what they were like now, what they had done and what they felt made the biggest impact. And what I noticed was there were varying different, all the kids were different, and there were varying different degrees of what they had done and how their kids were doing. Um, but what I noticed was that all of the parents on that panel had done ABA and had gone all in on ABA. There wasn't a single person on that panel that said, yeah, we did it solely with diet, right? But there were some people on the panel that said, you know, we did ABA, but we also did diet. And we, you know, we did ABA and we also did this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I was like, hmm, but the common denominator here is ABA. So that's, we were like, we, we got to get that ABA thing. And then I met a kid who was a card family and it sealed the deal for me. I was like, I want what you're having, <laughs> right? Uh, and that was it. I wasn't going to settle for anything other than card. But we did do some biomedical. We did diet. We did the gluten-free, casein-free diet. Eventually, we did this uh, a very short, and I mean like 22 days of the specific carbohydrate diet under medical attention. We did two runs of, the, of a yeast protocol with um, a nystatin, which I thought was amazing. And we, did, uh, and we did all of these things separate from each other. I make biomedical people crazy because if we add one supplement, we add one supplement and I take data on it for 30 days and go, do I see a difference? Do I see something that's better? Because he had reactions to things. Uh, you know, everybody told us because he would look, he would pick up things and he would look at them out of the corner of his eye like this. And everybody told me he had to be on a really good um, fish oil that had vitamin A because that'll help that a lot. And it made him whack a noodle. The minute we gave him fish oil, he had the opposite reaction. And our doctor said, I have never seen that in a kid before, but we pulled the vitamin A in the fish oil and he was fine. So we went super duper slow and I encourage people to do that. But the, the gluten-free casein-free diet worked for us. Um, we did the, the methyl B12 shots and we, did, we waited till he was seven to do those. And that um, was amazing for him. Uh, we saw a huge burst in language when he did the methyl B12 shots, but it was after we had gotten the yeast under control for him. So we did do those things. And I do talk about how those things attributed, but I just want to be clear that it, it, if he hadn't had the floor of ABA, I don't think they would have been as successful. 
Um, I do think that getting him on a gluten-free, casein-free diet, and eventually we got him organic too. And I think that that's a big deal. I think that that set him up for success with ABA, but without the ABA, we wouldn't be where we are. And we are someplace absolutely fabulous. Um, and if you want more information about biomedical, um, I always send people to TACA, T-A-C-A now.org, which is the autism community in action. T-A-C-A now.org and check out, they have all kinds of help and support for their parents. It's all parent run and they, they can help you with any biomedical question you have. And it's always different for kid. There's also the MedMaps, um, MAPS doctors um, that are the doctors who can help with that. It's very specific, please be careful. Um, Helen says, I was, I was diagnosed at age 35. It was relief, always felt different. Nephew, 10 years, big interest in space. I saw him do his schoolwork and I'm so proud of him. I love that, Helen. Carolyn says, how can I help my son without teaching him to change himself in the following situation? But do I have that? Did you send that to me? Oh, okay, here we go. He is nine and feels insecure and uncomfortable in social settings, even when one-on-one. -on -one. He tends to make funny faces instead of responding with words. And then we prompt word responses and he will. But then I've embarrassed him in front of the other person in the conversation. He tends to have his arms in an awkward stance and make a funny face when he should be responding. I should also add that he is in a mainstream school and fully verbal. Um, this breaks my heart a little bit because I remember a time Ev, when I came to you, um, because Jem was still having a little bit of difficulties. And one of the things that we had, he walked like a cartoon character. Um, and the other kids would look at it and go, because when you just said he has a funny stance and Jem would just sort of galump along and walk like a cartoon character. And, and you're the one who helped us with that, Ev. You're the one who pointed it out to me and said, you know, what is this about? And here's what we're going to do about it. Um, because it was an inefficient walk to begin with, but it was, it was this awkward way of holding himself. So that breaks my heart a little bit that your, your um, guy, your 10 year old is having issues, but of a different nature, but still that, that awkward sort of thing. So Ev, what, what do you want to say to this? I would say, um, not in the situation is when you're going to practice inhibiting his facial expressions. Um, this kind of happens, you know, there is something neurologically, like I think it has to, I, one time, this is research from years and years ago, but you know, there is research out there that when they would show faces of people to, so sometimes they would, you know, faces would show up in the motor area, faces would show up in the vision area, it show up in the emotion, like just, it was random places versus there is a really specific area that faces show up um, for, you know, neurotypical individuals. So it was, it's, and I think it's related to something in there, but it usually comes around in middle, in elementary school. And it usually has to do with some kind of a little bit more of an intense or novel situation where our child has to respond. And instead of responding um, what would be so-called the right way, they make faces or they'll like laugh suddenly, almost like a nervous laughter or 
just it's just some facial expression comes out inappropriately and um what i actually would do is first i would talk about the situations to make sure they understand whatever the situation was and a lot of times it has it would come in um situations like with a dog dying or a pet dying and a kid's talking about it and then our kid laughs and then all the other kids get mad at our kid in the classroom and um so we talk to make sure they understand what you know whatever the situation is but more than anything we tell them, you know, in those situations, people will read your face. And when they read your face, it's the same thing as shouting words. And I've had nine-year-old boys tell me that I'm lying to them when I tell them facial expressions mean more than the words coming out of their mouth. <laughs> I've had lots of ASD boys tell me, you know, I think you're wrong. <laughs> but it's important that he understand that his face does communicate a lot, especially since he is verbal. And facial expressions actually mean more than vocal words a lot of times in all our social interaction. So this is one area that I think that there's a lot of practice that needs to happen. And uh, people don't spend a lot of time focusing on it, but those nonverbal cues that we give to people are an issue for so many people. So I always say at home, you kind of have to practice, like make your face, you don't even have to make it into another emotion you can just make it blank <laughs> and and it takes that you know it's an executive function skill to be able to control your face and saying it and we've all had those experiences like I actually had an ASD boy who I had seen when he was 10 and when he came he came back when he was 20 his mom called me and said can you come help him and I said I haven't seen him in 10 years like what do you like I think there's probably somebody else she's like no 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 he broke up with his girlfriend and he's, he's kind of a mess. And I said, well, that's actually normal. <laughs> and she's like, just come talk to him. So I went and talked to him and there wasn't really much to do. He was just a normal, you know, breakup. But then right before he went back to school, he called and he's like, can I see you? And I said, okay, you know, so I went and he's like, if I see her on campus, what should I do? <laughs> what intrusive means, you know, just you can say hi, you can be polite. And then suddenly I was just like, you have to watch your face. <laughs> and he was like, well, what does that mean? And I told him, he's like, I don't know if I could do that. So we actually practiced. Like I was bringing up situations and it was fun. I mean, we started funny where like I brought up a food that he hated and I was like, I'm going to make you eat this. And, and, you know, what does your face say? And he was like horrified. I said, like, now let's practice. I'm going to say this. I'm going to make you eat this and I might make you eat this because it's right here, but you need to show me, you know, what a blank expression is. And so we actually practiced a blank expression with something that wasn't as serious. And then we, we can't, you know, we slowly built up kind of the seriousness of, or the situations so that he actually started to have some control over his faces, you know, and I've seen that in kids like, you know, the expressions that this mom is talking about. I've seen it across many, many kids. And a lot of times it's practicing at home to not show it first. And the thing is, kids at his age, if he's verbal and he's understanding a lot, these kids are so smart. There's there's a whole group of kids that know when they don't know everything and they don't understand what's going on. And that's what makes them anxious and uncomfortable and they don't know what to do. If you took a neurotypical kid, they'd have some of those behaviors, but they would usually channel that behavior into vocal language. They would ask questions so that they could get more information on what's happening, so that they would gain more control of the situation. They would be more interactive in terms of 
getting whatever information they need, or if they don't understand, they would excuse themselves from the situation. There's just all these things that they would do to, to not be put in that place where they feel uncomfortable. But because our kids, there's a lot of holes in their language. There's a lot of holes in their knowledge, especially cultural knowledge where nobody actually teaches you um, what's, you know, what's cool or not cool. Um, uh, a lot of these kids just need some practice. So initially what I do is just, cause I don't want our kid to be teased and everything. If that facial expression is something that is gonna gather some kind of, um, you know, the, the attention of kids that you don't want, I'm like, okay, let's get rid of that first. <laughs> so we actually practice like, okay, how do you have like a blank expression or a neutral expression? So that that actually goes away. And then along the way that there's probably a lot of holes in pragmatic language and social language that's missing. You know, just the ability, if you look at kids who get anxiety, a lot of it is they lack control and that's what builds the anxiety in them. And as so many of our kids on the spectrum, when they start to get that anxiety in those upper grades, it's because they know they're missing something, but they don't know what they're missing. And so, you need to get them to start asking questions because that's how you're gonna know how to teach him what he's not understanding. So be able to present really good questions. Like in this situation, you do that. <laughs> when we were with these people, you did this other thing, like why? <laughs> why did you not do what you told me to do last time? Um, and those are the questions that will help you actually be able to teach them what they're missing if you just go in and just start talking to them about whatever it is and giving them information, you don't know what disconnect or what illogical thinking is going on. So like the way that we work with little kids, I always say we take baseline behaviors, right, on data. I always say for the older kids, before you start teaching them how to do something or what the rule is, you need to get a baseline understanding of what they're thinking. <laughs> You know, all those social situations, get a baseline of what they know, what they understand, and then you can fill in the holes. But if you just, too many people just come in and just start teaching and without knowing what the holes are or the, what weird logic is there. And um, so that's what I would encourage you to do those things. You're muted. I know, I'm sorry. I want to say to Christopher, because um, when I was describing the biomedical stuff, he wrote it and said, Shannon, what you're describing sounds a bit like what SSRIs and SNRIs do to me. Those rank among the most terrifying experiences of my life. And I want to make sure that part of why I said with the biomedical to be very careful is that, you know, we, we are our own ecosystems and anything you put in your mouth has an effect on your ecosystem. And so you wanna be very careful. And, and, I, and I mean anything, like if you drink too little water or too much water, you're gonna have a very different effect on your ecosystem, right? So even water, um, you know, when I eat gluten, my ecosystem goes haywire. It does not respond well and it's bad. It's just so bad. Nobody wants to be within a mile of me because I become angry when I have wheat, woo, through the roof anger. In, inconsolably angry. So I think that everybody needs to be very careful about what and be aware of what they're putting into their ecosystems. And that's why I said we were very careful and I made people crazy because we would try one thing and see if it helped or it didn't help. And then if it didn't help, we, we took it out. 
you know, when we get into talking about SSRIs and SNRIs, because I was talking about supplements like vitamin A and fish oil, right? But even then supplements are something that mm-hmm. affects your ecosystem and you still have to be careful. And it does make me nervous when, when people go, well, I'm going to add these 22 things to my, all at this on the same day to my ecosystem or my child's ecosystem. I go, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Right. Uh, but I'm not a doctor for a very good reason. But when we get into talking about SSRIs and SNRIs, we're talking about prescriptive medicine. And that's a whole other realm where you need to be working with professionals. And and if you have a kiddo, you need to be very mindful. And I really appreciate you saying that that, you know, for you, that was not the ticket. And I do want to address, um, he had a question, um, Ev, and and unfortunately that's going to be the last question. And I know that you guys wrote in more questions and I apologize. I found out from one of my parents about two years ago that I'm actually on the spectrum, Asperger's. While that helps explain many of the issues I had as a kid and some that I still have, the um, records of that no longer exist due to the amount of time that has passed since the original diagnosis. Any advice with regards to issues I have multitasking, fluid communications and social skills, processing those things and how they relate to my job and those around me that don't always understand the struggles, my struggles to just fit. And I do want to say this to everyone, since, you know, Christopher brought up both of these things that, um, you know, there are some people who do need an SSRI or the other one, which I don't remember, you know, I'm not good at those terms. Um, But I always encourage parents of kids that we look at things behaviorally before we jump to medicine, uh, prescriptive medicine, because a lot of times, not always, but sometimes um, behavioral and the things that he's describing here uh, seem to me to be behavioral. Yes, Evelyn? Yeah. Um, the, the whole diagnosis aspect, one of the things that I think is different at CARD a little bit is I actually don't, it's good to, I'm so glad that, you know, your parents told you and that it helped answer some questions about being, you know, having Asperger's. But what I always encourage all our families to do is it's up to the parents whether they're going to tell the child, but it I go about it in a sense of there's a lesson we have in our skills curriculum called self-awareness. And it's just learning to be aware of what are you good at and what are you not so good at. And but and if you start to identify what areas are not so good, like you've said, you know, some of your social skills or some of these interactions it's easier to actually target and work on getting that to be better. So you might not be marvelous at it, but you let's say multitasking is really hard and that's an executive function skill. And that part of your brain keeps going, they're saying till you're 25, so I don't know how old you are, but you know, um, but you're working. So that means you are a very productive society, which is amazing. But, you know, there's something more that you're seeking and there's some more skills. And a lot of people think that ABA is just for kids, but we actually have been seeing a lot of adults and we've been working on, you know, it's a different thing. Um, I did an intake with a 43-year-old woman the other day and we talked about like social interaction and she doesn't really have a social place. So, but she has a lot of great interests. So we were, what we're working hard with her on is how to find like people like um, more extracurricular areas where there's lots of people who have the interests that she has who are probably, you know, 
very difficult. She didn't identify as difficult. It's just that when COVID came, suddenly they're rushing people out of the doors in grocery stores, she couldn't be hurried. Mm-hmm. And it, she would start to buy the wrong foods and you know all of those kind of things. So we talked about how to organize herself and creating structures. So if you have executive function difficulties like multitasking, it may never be your strength, but you can learn how to um, compensate. How, do, how can you compensate in doing some of these skills? And that is something that you can learn from your ABA provider. So if there are social skills that you have that, that, um, that you feel like you're missing or situations that you don't know how to handle, that is another place where you can actually get some ABA assistance because in learning how to create some of those um, areas or those rules that you didn't know about in terms of specific social that you have and just working on them one at a time, you know? And that is something that ABA still, you know, still helps. And one thing that this woman had said to me is she said she went to actually um, a social skills group meeting, like an, an, it was an outpatient inpatient version. And it scared her more because the people there tended to have, you know, more like alcoholism, drug abuse, sexual abuse, like other issues. And she was like running out of there saying, my issues are not the same as yours. In fact, they were scaring her more. So when she came, came to us, we said, okay, let's work on, you know, okay, so let's talk about social interaction. Where does this happen? Hey, let's create some situations where we can work on some rules and then let's go out in the community and we'll practice some of these, you know, in her daily community. And she has a job, she had two bachelor's degrees. She was amazing. But it was just one of these things where you can still learn how to do that. You just need a little bit more direction. And, you know, I would encourage the ABA part to help you get better, especially since you notice it and that you are actually seeking some assistance. So that that's great that you actually recognize it because that's the first step. Thank you so much for that. And I want to thank everybody for being here. This is Charles. Uh, we, we, we call him Cheese because that's one of the things that Joanne called him. Uh, Joanne used to have a dog named Mac and then she adopted Charles and so that she called them Mac and Cheese. And then Mac passed away and so she got uh, another dog, Hamilton, and so they became Ham and Cheese. But so this is <laughs> Cheese, he's our new love and he's shaking because he's like, I don't understand what's happening. But he came over and while you were talking and, and asked to come up. So I, I thought that everybody would say, hello to cheese. Um, this is one of Joanne's many, many loves and he is now our love and here with us. So say hi cheese. Uh, we're out of time. Please donate to any of uh, Joanne's organizations. Please find a minute to dance today with abandon and remember Joanne. Uh, thank you Evelyn for being here. Um, it's always so informative and thank you for all of you for being here. Um, it was amazing to be here with you today and I appreciate you being here with me and happy birthday again to Rachel Bird. We'll be back tomorrow. Ooh, see the dog fur fly. <laughs> He's shedding. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Yadira Calderon, who also had a birthday this week, is going to be with us tomorrow and we'll, we'll be back with more Autism Live then. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Say bye, cheese. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You want to get down? <laughs>